Welcome. Please join us as we continue in the book of Joshua. Listen now as guest speaker Mike Soloway talks about hidden sin and how your sin affects the lives of others. Keep listening as he explains. Please be seated. Mark Twain once said, everyone is a moon and has a dark side which he never shows to anybody if he can help it. I think he's right, and and if you have any doubt about that, ask yourself this question. Would I be willing to say out loud everything that I say to myself? Uh, We probably, hopefully, don't have major skeletons in our closets. Hopefully, uh, you know, not too many of us are building Frankenstein monsters in our basements or anything like that. But it's true, if, if the people around us could hear the things that we were thinking, would they have a different impression of us? Last week, Pastor Lucas talked about Joshua chapter 5, which was a chapter uh, that focused on obedience. God told Israel that he wanted to prepare to take them to the promised land, not by doing push-ups and jumping jacks or building catapults or sharpening their swords, but by worshiping him. And the way that he wanted them to worship was by being obedient to the law. You see, after they had left Israel, for the last 40 years they'd been wandering in the desert, there was one aspect of the law that they had not been obedient to, and that was circumcision. So God said, okay, before we do anything, before we even discuss taking the promised land, we got to get back on track. And we need to be obedient to the law, so I want you guys to get circumcised. Once you get circumcised and we're back on track, then we can talk about the details of taking the promised land. So chapter 5 was about obedience. Uh, Chapter 6 also is about obedience. Chapter 6 is about the Israelites coming and taking the city of Jericho. And it's about the obedience to, to the instructions that God gave to the Israelites regarding taking the city of Jericho. So it's all about obedience. It's about obedience to the law. In chapter 1 of Joshua, in verse 7, God tells Joshua that victory is dependent upon obedience to the law. It says this in verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Then in chapter 6, we have the story of the fall of Jericho. Now God, in chapter 6, gives two sets of instructions to Joshua. The first set of instructions was about how to take Jericho. So if we look at, uh, open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and out, Because of the people of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, 
all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, you will hear the sound of the trumpet. Then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go in, everyone straight before him. So at this point, the Israelites really have no reason to doubt what God's telling them to do, right? The passage doesn't give any indication that they hesitated or that they doubted. They just did it. So for seven days, they marched around the city. And then on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. Then they blew the trumpets. The people shouted and the walls fell down. Just like that. No catapults, no jumping jacks, no scaling walls, none of that. Just obey God, follow his instructions, and the walls of Jericho fell. So that was the first set of instructions. Um, how to take Jericho. The second set of instructions was in regard to what they should and shouldn't do once they got into Jericho. So if we look at uh, chapter 6, starting at verse 16, it says, And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Remember that. That's important. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the, devote, from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Okay, so let me translate. The city is filthy with sin. And God has determined that everyone and everything in the city must be destroyed. Everything and everyone in the city has been devoted to destruction. The only exceptions are Rahab and her family because they hid the spies. And then the other exception is the articles of gold and silver and the articles of uh, the vessels of bronze and iron. God says, those things are holy to me. Those are going to be put in my treasury. Now, the Hebrew word here for devoted uh, applies both to offerings given to God and it's also um, talks about capital punishment. And really, the picture that's being given here is the picture of fish caught in a net, right? If you picture this net coming up onto the boat, all of these fish are gathered together. They're all gathered together, but they're also being destroyed together. They're devoted to destruction. Achan's name, let me, let me go back to that. So no one was to take anything from Jericho. It had been banned by God. Everything in the city had been devoted to God, to destruction. 
as an act of worship. So now, we're talking about obedience up till now, right? Chapter 5 and chapter 6, we're talking about obedience. Now let's see what happens in chapter 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people. So Achan, one guy, took some of the devoted things that God clearly said you're not supposed to take. One guy. But it says that the people sinned. The people broke faith. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people. Achan's name in Hebrew means one who troubles. One who troubles. Can you imagine that? Oh, what a beautiful baby boy. What's his name? One who troubles. Good luck with that. We usually like to give our babies names that are nice, that are pleasant sounding to the ear, maybe that have a nice meaning behind them. Shana's name in Hebrew means beautiful. And Kaylee's name we picked just because we like the sound of it, but for the, the sake of uh, preparing this sermon, I did look to see what her name actually means, and it means warrior woman. <laughs> so um, she is reaching her preteen years now, so we'll see how that works out for us. So far, she's not too combative, but, you know, we have something to pray about there. So one guy disobeyed, and as a result, the anger of the Lord is burning against the people. But here's the problem. They don't know it yet. Let's look at verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up. But about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from there to the from the people. And they fled before the men of I. And the men of I killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them down at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So at this point, we can imagine that the Israelites are probably pretty confused, right? Here God had led them through the desert. For 40 years in the desert, hundreds of thousands of people had food to eat in the desert for 40 years. They had water to drink in the desert for 40 years. Their sandals didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. And then, when their time in the desert was over, God parted the waters of the Jericho River so that they could walk across on dry ground. They were still riding high from this miraculous victory at Jericho where God tore down the walls of the city without them having to do anything but walk and blow their trumpets and shout. Now all of a sudden they see this little city of Ai, small, not many people, right? No big walls. No problem. So the spies go in and they come back and they say, oh, no problem. This is going to be a piece of cake. Just send two or three thousand men. We'll be back in time for Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Yet to 
their surprise, they're defeated. They go up, and they end up fleeing from the men of Ai. And 36 soldiers are, are killed. All because one man took some of the devoted things. What about the spies? The spies had great faith, right? In verse 3, they said, don't, don't worry about it. God is on our side. We can do anything because God is on our side. Don't worry about it. Just send two or 3,000 people up. We'll be fine. So doesn't that count? Doesn't the faith of the spies, doesn't that count for anything? Does it really just hinge on the sin of one man? Well, think about this for a minute. Those of us who drive, are we rewarded because we obey the traffic laws? No, we just get busted when we break the traffic laws, right? The traffic laws, we're required to follow the traffic laws, right? It's expected that we follow the traffic laws. We're not rewarded for that. It's the problems. It's breaking the traffic laws that are the problems. Those are the things that cause accidents, right? Well, the same thing here. Yes, it's true that the spies had great faith. Maybe a lot of the people had great faith. But it was the sin that God wanted to address. Why? Because sin separates us from God. And as long as that sin is sitting there, God can't have fellowship with his people the way that he wants to have fellowship with his people. That relationship is broken because that sin is sitting there. Verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And he and the elders of Israel... And they put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land will hear and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Can you imagine? Joshua assumes that it's all God's fault. It doesn't even occur to him that it might be their fault. Why have you brought this people over the Jordan? To destroy us? And now the bad guys are going to hear about it. They're going to surround us. They're going to destroy us. And what's, what's that going to do to your reputation, God? How are you going to repair your reputation as a result of this? Huh? Huh, God? <laughs> Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Get up. Stop whining. I'm sick and tired of it. I've been listening to it for 40 years. I didn't do this. You did this. Imagine Joshua at this moment. Talk about putting your foot in your mouth. Right? God just, Joshua just accused God of something that the Israelites are guilty of. But sometimes ignorance is bliss. Sometimes it's 
just nicer not to look at the bad things and, and not acknowledge the fact that maybe we're a problem, right? It's nice when everything looks nice and clean. Sometimes I'll be listening to the news on the radio or watching the news on TV and a story will come on and I just have to turn the channel because I just don't want to hear it. You know, it's too sad, it's too grotesque, it's too bad. I don't, I don't even want to know about it. I changed the channel. When termites invade your home, they don't announce their arrival. They don't march around our house seven times, you know, with trumpets and shouting, right? They enter the home. They start eating away at the framework in the house. And we don't even know about it, right? We continue vacuuming our carpets. We continue mowing our lawn. We continue making sure our kitchen counters are free from clutter. We paint our walls. We continue making our house look nice. And yet, in secret, the house is being destroyed. In secret, these termites are chopping away at the house, weakening the actual framework that's holding our roof above our heads. Verse 12. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So the things that God had devoted for destruction were brought into their midst, which in turn made them devoted for destruction. God says, get up, identify your sin, and destroy it. But wait a minute, wasn't it just one man who sinned? Wasn't it just Achan who sinned? Does the sin of one person really affect the lives of others? Well, we know that sin separates us from God, right? And when we're separated from God... <clears throat> Our relationship with other people is different than it is when we're in fellowship with God, isn't it? When we're separated from God, we parent differently than we are when we're separated from God. When we're in fellowship with God, we, we work differently than when we're separated from God. My sin affects your lives. Your sins affect the lives of the people around you. Remember when Jesus went to his hometown? Do you remember that story? And the Bible says that when he was in his hometown, the people didn't believe in him. So Jesus was actually limited in what he could do. Here's the creator of the universe. He was limited in the miracles that he could do in his hometown. It wasn't because of his limitations. It was because of the sins of the people around him. Yes, our sins do affect the people around us. 36 people died. This wasn't about one man. Achan may have been the trigger... But it was Israel who had to decide what they were going to do with this sin. They were going to decide, are we going to let the sin stay? Are we going to let it be a termite? Are we going to let it destroy that foundation 
of our relationship with God? Or are we going to destroy it? Verse 13. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Okay, so God says, tomorrow, I want you guys to gather together. And I'm going to pick a tribe. And then from that tribe, I'm going to pick a clan. And then from that clan, I'm going to pick a family. And then from that family, I'm going to pick a man. And I'm going to show you who has done this. God knew who did it. Why go through all of this? Why wait till tomorrow? Why didn't he just say, Achan took the devoted things. Do something about it. Why didn't he do that? Well, I can think of two possible reasons. The first reason is I think he wanted to give the people an opportunity to examine themselves. Right? I think he wanted the people to look at themselves and say, is there any sin in me that could put Israel at risk? We live in Lake Zurich, and you might remember that a couple of years ago there was a, a traffic accident on, on Route 12 where there was a woman on a motorcycle, stopped at a red light, and there was a car that failed to stop and ran into the back of her and killed her. You might remember this. The, the thing that's memorable about this is that the woman who hit her was distracted because she was painting her fingernails while she was driving. You know, and when you first hear that story, you think, man, what was she thinking? But then, as you think about that story some more, you realize that, you know what, there have been times when I've been distracted. Right? There have been times when I was changing the radio station and I look up and there's brake lights in front of me and I have to slam on my brakes to stop. What if that was a motorcycle stopped at a red light? Right? That could easily just have been me. So I think he wanted to give the people an opportunity to examine themselves and see if maybe there's some sin that maybe I need to address too. Right? The second reason I think he waited till morning was because I think he wanted to give Achan a chance to repent. God does that. He gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. God is gracious to us. Well, whatever the reason, God decided to wait until morning. And then it says, when the guilty party is found out, they will be burned with fire, he and all that he has. Wow. Burned with fire. Pretty hard.
harsh. But think about this from God's perspective. God knew that this sin, if left alone, if left untreated, it's a termite. This sin is going to gnaw away at that framework that is the relationship between us and God. God knew that if the people allowed this sin to continue on, that termite would destroy the house. It would destroy the relationship between them and God. The sin had to be dealt with. So, God, in His mercy, in His mercy, chose to make the sin known so that it could be dealt with. We look at the fire and we think, man, that's harsh. In reality, this is an act of mercy. 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan now was found out. And Joshua confronts him. And in front of everyone, he says, Give glory to God. Give praise to God. Joshua could have told him, I want you to apologize to all of the people for what you did. I want you to go and I want you to apologize and make restitution to the families of the 36 men who died because of your sin. He didn't do that. He said, give glory to God, give praise to God. That's what this was all about. That's what this is all about. Removing the sin so that we can give glory to God. So that we can have fellowship with God and give Him glory. Verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath. So Achan finally admits what he did. But only after he'd been caught. Right? Only after everybody knew who it was. Only then would he admit what he had done. I remember Pastor Lucas saying a few weeks ago, that sin, when you get really down to it, is unbelief. Right? When we sin, what we're really doing is we're saying, God, I don't believe that your way is better than my way. I believe that my way is better than your way, so I'm going to do it my way. That's what sin is. And that's what Achan did. He looked at these things. He looked at this nice robe. He looked at the gold and the silver and, and these, these nice, shiny, sparkly things. And he decided that it would be better for him to grab these things than to not grab them. Verse 22, So Joshua sent messengers 
And they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep, and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Now notice here that all of Israel stoned them. All of Israel stoned them. Why? Because Achan's sin affected all of Israel. And God's anger burned against all of the people. So all of the people had to take part in destroying that sin. So God exposed Achan's sin so that it could be dealt with. And so that his fellowship with his people could be restored. God revealed the sin so that fellowship could be restored. When you have an argument with someone, isn't there usually this period of time after the argument where you're angry, you're maybe sad, you don't want to talk to the other person, the other person doesn't want to talk to you, and you separate yourselves from each other, and there's this awkwardness, there's this period of time where you're running through the argument in your head, and you're remembering the things that you said, and you're thinking, what could I have said differently? What should I have said differently? But the relationship between the two of you is separated. You are separated from that person at that time. That is where Israel was with God. But God in His mercy was the one to break the silence. God in His mercy revealed what was hidden, revealed that sin so that fellowship with God could be restored, so that they could come back together again and be the way that they were before the argument happened, before that separation happened. Verse 26, And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. So the name of Achor is a derivative of the name Achan. This valley was named after him because Joshua didn't want the people to forget what happened here. He wanted the people to have a memorial of what happens when we keep our sins hidden. So he piled up a bunch of rocks over Achan's grave and made this memorial. Now when I hear this story, I don't think, man... can't believe that guy. Who would do something like that? I would never do something like that. I don't think that. I don't think that. What I think is, why did Aiken receive this punishment and I don't? There isn't a person in this room right now who's any better than Aiken. 
Don't we all have hidden sins? Don't we all have things that we would not say out loud because we know that they're sinful? Sin separates us from God. Sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be purged. Achan's sin put a wall between God and the people of Israel. My sin puts a wall between me and God. And the effects of my sin can contribute to putting a wall between you and God. God knows the hidden sins in my life. He knows the evil that's in my heart and in my mind. So why not me? Why haven't I been singled out for destruction the way that Abel was? The truth of the matter is I have been. So have you. When I was singled out for destruction, Jesus stepped in. Jesus became devoted for destruction for me. He was willingly destroyed. He was willingly subject to destruction so that I wouldn't have to be. And so that you wouldn't have to be. When we read the story of, of Achan, we don't usually think about the fact that we are subject to the same destruction that Achan was subject to. Except the fact that Jesus spilled his blood so that we wouldn't have to spill ours. And, through Je and though Jesus gives us redemption from our sins so that we can be clean in the eyes of God, the effects of those sins, they remain, right? We're forgiven, but when we sin, the effects of those sins remain. It's hard to live in secret. David experienced it, and in Psalm 32, David wrote this. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God doesn't want us to remain unproductive and unfruitful. And because of that, the time may come when God will reveal our hidden sins so that our relationship with Him can be restored. What are some of the termites in our lives? Are we holding on to grudges? Do we harbor bitterness? Do we envy the people around us? Do we envy the things that they have that we don't have? Do we struggle with regret? <clears throat> no one knows about these things. No one knows that we think these things. No one thinks, no, knows that they're in our hearts and in our minds. They're hidden. But yet they're termites. And they destroy us. Hidden sin is like the root of a dandelion. You look at a dandelion and there's this pretty yellow flower, right? Above the surface, the leaves are nice and lush green. 
a weed. And that root that you can't see that's hidden is growing and growing and it's getting harder and harder to pull. Sin is sin, right? So why are we focusing on hidden sin and not on the sin that everybody can see? It's the same thing, right? It separates us from God. Well, I think the reason we need to focus sometimes on hidden sin is because that's the sin that's harder to get rid of. Because the sins that are obvious, the sins that are out in the open, we know that we're doing them. Other people know that we're doing Other people may even confront us about those things. So they're kind of right in our faces. And it's, we're more prone to address those kinds of sins. But the sins that are hidden, that are in our minds, we're less prone to address those sins because nobody knows about it. Nobody's calling us on it. We're not calling ourselves on it. Remember verse 13? Verse 13 said, You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. We cannot have victory in our lives until we take away those things in our lives that are devoted for destruction. But that seems like a daunting task, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem impossible? Haven't we tried that before? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He said, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So he never allows us to be tempted beyond what we can tolerate, right? And when we are tempted, he always gives us a way out. So there is no excuse for sin. Remember when Jesus was talking to the rich young man, and, and the rich young man came to him and said, Look, I've, I've been a good guy my whole life. I've obeyed the law since my youth. So what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus said, There's one thing that you're lacking. There's one thing that you're lacking. Take all of your wealth and give it away to the poor. Now think about that for a minute. Is there really a law that says that if you're rich, you have to give it away to the poor? Everything? No. It's not there. Was Jesus lying? Why did he say that? Well, what he was doing was he was getting to the heart of the issue. This man had one thing that was a higher priority in his life than God. One thing. And that was his wealth. And Jesus was saying, if you can take that thing that's more important to you than I am, and if you can take that thing and you can get rid of it, if you can destroy that thing, then you can be saved. I have to be number one. And the disciples came to Jesus and they said, it's impossible. Who then can be saved? Who can possibly be saved? And Jesus said, well, you're right. When you look at it from a human point of view, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
All things are possible because Jesus is the one doing them. Not us. Be encouraged. Because Jesus takes away our sins so that we can be clean in the eyes of the Father. But he also loves us enough to address the sins that plague us here and now. And we don't have to be subject to destruction. We don't have to be devoted for destruction. Instead, we can enjoy sweet fellowship with God because Jesus was destroyed for us. Achan's name had a meaning, one who troubles. Many of us in this room have a name as well. The name is Christian. The name Christian means something. It means that we don't have to pay the price that Achan paid, even though we deserve it. It means that we've been redeemed. It means that those chains of death are no longer binding us. We've been set free from those chains because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that um, that you care enough about our sin to want to get rid of it. We thank you that you care so much about our relationship with you that you are willing to expose our sin so that it can be dealt with. We thank you, Lord, that not only did you expose our sin so that it can be dealt with, but you took the bullet for us. You took the suffering, you took the punishment so that we wouldn't have to. Lord, be with us as we, as we leave this place. Lord, help us to be mindful of the sins that maybe we don't even pay attention to. Maybe that we don't even realize that they're there because they seem so small and so subtle, but yet it affects our relationship with you. And as a result, it also affects our relationship with each other. Lord, we want to be productive for you. We want to be a blessing to others. Lord, we want to see this church grow. We want to see people get saved. We want to see people come in here and be baptized. We want to see lives changed. But Lord, help us to look into those deep, dark crevices, into those hidden spaces in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, help us to deal with those hidden sins. So that that drain can be unplugged, so that we can once again enjoy sweet fellowship with you and become productive servants for you. Lord, we thank you that you love us enough to care. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us as we, as we take part now in communion. We pray, Lord, that we would not just be drinking some juice or, or taking some bread into our mouths, but we pray, Lord, that we would realize that this is a symbol of the blood that you shed for us so that we would not have to take the same punishment that Achan took. This is not just symbolism, Lord. This is real. 
And Lord, we also pray that you would be with us as we sing our closing worship song as well. The song is Save Me. And Lord, help us to meditate on the words as we sing to you. Help us to sing the song from the heart. Lord, convict us of our sins. Lord, change our lives. In your holy name we pray. This has been a presentation of Christian Fellowship Church of Itasca, Illinois.